Hey everybody, my name is Austin Moyers and I really like houseplants and science museums and ramen. My name is Michael Pugh and I like Mountain Dew Baja Blast, mm. poorly dubbed anime and Reese's mm. Cups. Very good. Often this, at the same time. <laughs> those do go well together. Um, and this is... Chronically the, the podcast where Michael and I, two good friends, talk about things that we like um, and have liked, and maybe maybe you might like too. Yeah, it's the best explanation we've been able to come up with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People ask me when I say that I have a podcast. They're like, "So what's it about?" I'm just like, mm, "Stuff, <laughs> everything." Yeah, just the stuff <laughs> that I like. Um. So Austin, I, you know, I've recently acquired evidence of something that I've suspected for quite some time. What's that? I'm, I might have magic powers. Oh, because it seems that quite often things that I talk about on the podcast become increasingly more relevant shortly after i talk about them interesting (laughs) so here's that adam sandler movie maybe i don't know i don't know which (laughs) one you're talking about (laughs) there's probably several honestly yeah but the um the some of the uh, evidence for this is that uh, only about a month after i first talked about uh warhammer Mm -hmm. the uh all the new starter sets were released and Warhammer announced their streaming service and how they're making everything like beginner friendly. And, uh, only about a month after I talked about the Zanfredo UFO case, we get all these new declassified documents about UFOs for the government. And, you know, it's been about a month or so since I've talked about VTubers and not only was Hololive's Gargura, featured um as an easter egg in a taco bell commercial but she is now an official partner of taco bell and recently had taco bell the stream on her channel where she ate nacho fries and talked about nacho fries for about an hour what (laughs) i have lots to say first off was it that was it that taco bell commercial where they're like fighting the kaijus in the yes the the fry force Yes. If you look in the scene where they're in Times Square on one of the billboards in the background is Gaurgura. Wow. <laughs> and she's now an official Taco Bell partner. <laughs> what a dream to be sponsored by Taco Bell. Um, so I'm going to do my best to use this power responsibly. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like we need to, to work out how to use this for good. <laughs> Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about the cure for cancer. <laughs> <laughs> it. it's a hobby we've had for a while yeah <laughs> i've been interested in such things so uh we will need to continue to examine this oh and about a month or so after i started um talking about formula one the season kicked off and it's been like the most exciting season in like mm-hmm. 10 years and viewership is like through the roof compared to previous seasons so i'm pretty sure <laughs> i have magic powers <laughs> yeah it's definitely all because of you Mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. You're welcome. Um, have you been Have you been uh, watching the Olympics? Uh, I haven't been watching a ton of it, but there have been some 
uh, stories that I've heard about and went back and watched some of the matches. Like, uh, I thought it was pretty crazy how the um, in fencing there was um, like a retainer who uh, was cleared to play. Pretty sure it was a French guy, uh, French or Italian. And he was like ranked like 47th, which sounds pretty good, but that's like not very good for the Olympics. And um, he was like oh, the replace. Crazy. He was the replacement for someone who couldn't compete, and he just like destroyed. Um, I yeah. don't know if it's because my theory is that like he was just in a different headspace than the other competitors because, um, you know, he's like I'm 47th. I'm lucky to be here. I'm just gonna go all out. You know, I don't have. He didn't really have anything to prove at that point, or like anything to lose. And he ended up like playing. Um, I don't know if he would say playing a fencing match. I don't know what the, <laughs> the term is, but he ended up uh, competing in his matches, and he was just going for moves that like people would never like normally go for. But it paid off super well. He ended up doing really really well. I'm, I can't remember if he. I know he medals. I can't remember if he got the gold or not. That's exciting. And um, the other one that really stuck stuck out to me was the uh, woman from the Philippines who won their first gold medal ever in uh, women's weightlifting. Uh, yeah. I thought I thought was really cool. The Philippines has never ever gotten any gold medals the entire history of the Olympics, and they got their first one this year uh, from this so exciting talented weightlifter. And there's been a few other things, but those two have been stories that I've what's more happened this year is I've like heard about things and then I'll go back and I'll, I'll watch the event to, to right. see it for myself. So go follow up on it. Yeah. That's kind of uh, how we've been doing it too. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It feels more difficult to watch than normal. Like I'm not even really sure where to find everything, you know? Yeah, and you'd think it'd be, like, easier now that compared to, like, four years ago, streaming is, like, so common. Things on YouTube, you know, on Twitch, like, all this stuff is so easily accessible. You'd think it would would be easier, but like you, I'm finding stuff after the fact, you know, rather than seeing it live. But it's fun. Well, hey, um... Do you want to go first today, or would you like me to go first today? It's totally up to you, man, whatever you're feeling. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go first. That's fine. That'd be cool. Okay. Well, in that case, it's time for you to uh, lock your doors and close the curtains. Why? Because I'm about to tell you about the kind of things that... uh. They don't want you to know, Austin. It's time to to take a dip into the world of that which remains chronically unexplained. Oh, how exciting. Oh, that's so great. (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay, cool. And so I've dealt with a uh, mysterious uh, ghost ship occurrence, mass death and disappearance of a crew. I've dealt with one of the strangest alien abduction cases that I've ever heard of. So I wanted to do something uh, different. But, you know, there's there's been some interesting developments on those last two stories. Uh, I, will, I don't have time to go into all the details. There hasn't been any 
breakthroughs about the Orang Medan case, but I kind of keep my eyes and ears out for things, and there have been recently that have come across uh, my my desk here in the <laughs> underground base where I release my secret truth broadcasts into the infosphere. Um, there have been some news stories I found about um, sailors on cargo ships and uh, cruise liners who are uh, dying from illnesses uh, under mysterious circumstances, and the details of their deaths are not being released to the public by various different governments. So there's been a case of some German cargo ship workers in the Philippines. There were some Indian sailors around Malaysia. You know, there, there, there's been about four or five of these cases I've found that have spanned over the past um, 10 to 20 years. And I can't help but oh, notice okay. cool. some so similarities not... to the to the Orang Medan case and um, and the fact that they all happen in and relatively close to the same region where that occurred. And I find it really odd that the the uh, governmental and maritime authorities are not making their cause of death public, but just calling it quote a mysterious illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so there may be a possible connection there, and I'm going to keep my eye out to see if that information's ever released. And then, of course, we've had more uh, documentation about the U.S. government's investigation of the UFO phenomenon has been released to the public, which some people may have heard of. And uh, my quick summary, as someone who read through the files, is one, they've changed the terminology again. They don't call them UFOs anymore. They call them UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. Oh, I uh, Yeah, they've confirmed that the phenomenon, the official standpoint of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, and the Pentagon, so the phenomenon is real, but they are claiming that they don't know what it is. So they have cleared independent or public scientific groups permission to investigate in conjecture with the DOD and the Pentagon and the U S air force to investigate the phenomenon further. That's the, like the official statement. I don't think that's true. What don't you think is true? Uh, I think they probably know a lot more than they oh, have yeah, okay, sure, released yeah. to the public. Um, or they at least, because they're like, we have no working theories. And I'm like, you, they at least have working theories, if not more yeah. knowledge. Any guess is a working theory. Like, Yes, absolutely. <laughs> they also claim that there has not really been much international involvement in terms of international cooperation about studying this. Um, which I am also skeptical of because they do say in the report that they don't believe that the UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them, are foreign aircraft. And if they had no reason to believe that they were foreign aircraft, I don't know why they would at least, the U.S. wouldn't at least call on close allies to share information. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, it's not like you're not going to go knock on Russia or China's door and be like, hey, Aliens, question mark. Um, But you'd think there would at least be some sort of international cooperation between, like, the UK or Germany or, you know, countries in in Africa or South America or Canada, you know, that we have close diplomatic ties with. 
um, or Japan, for example, um, and they have no details of that. But also there are still large sections of the report that are classified and redacted that we're not allowed to see. So, but we're, you know, we're getting some interesting statements after this disclosure coming from former U.S. Air Force and U.S. Navy pilots that are claiming that the report either doesn't say the whole story or is outright lying to the public about it. So perhaps in a, another episode I can dig through all that because it's, it's a mess. It, it would take a lot to just keep all the strands together yeah. to present the information. Just be like, draw your own conclusions, right? Because there's a lot of different conclusions you could draw. So today... I was like, you know, we've done we've done a weird ghost ship disappearance that has basically no possible explanations uh, f- for right now. <laughs> we've talked about, you know, a, a good old-fashioned alien case. But let's do something a little bit more spooky-ooky this time, Ooh. if I may bring in some technical jargon. <laughs> so today I will be talking about the mysterious phenomenon known as the Belmez Faces. What was that second word? Actually, what was, what was that first word? Belmez. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you heard of this before? No, no, I haven't. So the Bel- Belmez is a is a small-ish um, village in Spain. Okay. So Spain, in big big place apparently for these paranormal situations. <laughs> I know, right? I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even realize that until you just switched that this is another story from Spain. Yeah. Um but in 1971 in Bel- Belmez uh, and you can even find the exact address of this location, but I just thought best not to make it public. Although I mean if you really want to find it, you can find it. Um, because people have have gone to this house. There was a family called the Pereira family, mm-hmm. uh, working class. You know, this is this is not a luxurious place. This is you know, a shabby, shacky kind of a apartment building. Okay. And um, on August twenty third, nineteen seventy one, Maria Gomez Camara, who is the you know, the matriarch, the mom of the Pereira family began to notice that there was a face developing in the concrete floor of her kitchen. And you can find uh, pictures of this if you Google Belma's faces. And she, you know, one of the things I always look for in stories like this is how, how do people respond to the initial kind of strange event? You know, do they immediately go to the papers? Do they immediately like start selling tickets or whatever, you know? Yeah. But she just assumed it was some kind of stain caused by, you know, one of her kids or something. And it was like, huh, that's funny. It kind of looks like a face. Um, But as she was like getting her materials together to clean it, you know, getting a mop, getting soap, things like that, she noticed that the marks were forming like spontaneously and were like shifting positions as this image was developing on the floor. So it was like slowly moving across the floor while this image was developing and slightly shifting in shape. What? And as the image like continued to develop, the the facial features were getting clearer and clearer. So initially she was it was one of those things where like 
you burn your toast and you pull out your toast, you're like, whoa, that looks like Jesus or, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, right. That's like how it started. But as the image became clearer and clearer, it it began to look like, oh, I'm not just seeing a face. Like there's a face here, <laughs> basically, if I could explain it like that. Yeah, yeah. And so initially she was like, wow, that looks really creepy. So I'm just going to try to clean the floor because I don't want the spooky looking face on my concrete. Um, and so first she start, tried with like soap and water and it didn't really work. And she had like industrial strength cleaning supplies um, and even tried that and it didn't work. And eventually her husband Juan and her son Miguel uh, came back home and we're like, hey, how's it going, mom? And she's like, there's a creepy face in the concrete of our kitchen. <laughs> and so they went and got pickaxes and we're like, you know what? This thing, we don't like it. Um, I'm not aware how like superstitious the family was. So maybe that played into this decision. Are we, we still like, on we day one at this point? Yes. This is like within an hour of oh just goodness. noticing the face. Let me grab the pickaxe real quick. They were like, you know what? Let's just get rid of it. So they just grabbed pickaxes and they just smashed up like their own floor. And we're like, you know what? We'll we'll re we'll reseal the floor. You know, we'll we'll redo the concrete. No harm, no foul. Stupid, evil-looking ghost face gone. But while they were destroying the floor, they claimed to have witnessed the face reappear, the same one on another part of the floor. So eventually, like, this is a small village, and, like, within a week, word starts to spread through town, of course, mm -hmm. that there are these weird faces appearing in the Pereira's uh, family kitchen, you know. And to my knowledge, through all the research I've done, no one – this family didn't have a bad reputation. They didn't have a reputation as anyone who were – causing trouble or anything like that. And so like a lot of their friends and neighbors were concerned and were just talking about it. And eventually the mayor of Belmez heard word of this and was like, you know what? I want to help them out. Uh, Cause clearly they're getting all this attention and it's a hassle and it's freaking them out. So he was like, let's just get like some surveyors to go to the house. They will, this time they'll remove the face Right. They'll cut around it and they can take it off and the surveyors can look at it. And maybe we can send it off to like a university or something and some scientists can look at it and I'll do that. And I'll even pay to have their floor like redone, like, you know, no charge. So nice mayor, you know, nice <laughs> mayor. About. very kind. So the, and the family's like super cooperative, right? And I think that's a point in their favor. They're not like, no, don't take it or no, there's a curse. They're like, yeah, just get out of here, get it tested, you know, do whatever you want. We're tired of this thing being in our house. Because if, if you look at the pictures, Austin, like these, these are very unpleasant faces. Like, yeah, to look at. so they definitely are. I was going to, I was trying to think of like something to compare them to because I just looked it up a minute ago. It's kind of like, um, the you know like the the scream face um yeah just a little bit distorted but still obviously like a human thing but very unsettling um yeah, yeah. not something i would want to have looking at me in my house yeah so the surveyors show up and they start 
like excavating this like piece of the floor and as they're digging in the floor you know you have to imagine one of the surveyors just goes huh uh huh <laughs> and they were removing the floor and right at the foundation of the house they found bones of course they did and so they're like we should probably see so human bones yeah <laughs> what these bones are yes they're human uh-huh. and they ended up excavating a full 10 feet down where they didn't just find bones they found multiple complete skeletons mm. except for a few uh, every report I found has said at least three, and all three of these skeletons, I kid you not, man, were only missing the skulls. No. And multiple surveyors apparently quit the project after that and noped out. And so the mayor talked with the family and said, like, what do you want to do about these bodies that are under your house <laughs> so they decided that that first they wanted to make sure that the bodies received a proper burial so they requested that the bodies be sent to a catholic cemetery nearby to be given uh last rites and buried and the surveyors along with the mayor also requested that if it would be all right at first the, the uh, bones would be taken away to see if they could be identified or carbon dated because, you know, for anyone listening, like, regardless of whether or not, like, you think, like, oh, clearly ghosts, it's like, if there are bones under someone's house, you need mm -hmm. to make sure that these are not connected to any, like, ongoing murder investigations, you know, like, any yeah. missing persons cases, anything like that. So they're like, well, let's see if we can identify these people. Do um, we... Uh... That, do we know how like old the house was at this point? I don't think, I don't think I couldn't find that information. Cause it's, it's like tough to... with these stories. There's always a point where like, I'm skeptical up until, you know, that the one detail that makes me like, oh, okay, this <laughs> seems not fakeable yeah. and having the... bones 20 feet under your house seems pretty not fakeable to me. Um, yeah. The, the thing about Spain that I, I assume most, if not all, of our listeners currently are going to be American, is that if you're not living in certain parts of America, right, like, mm -hmm. there are, the buildings aren't very old, right, and people haven't lived there very long. Even indigenous populations in America didn't live everywhere in the United States, right? Right. And so there are there's there's a good chance that a lot of the places where you might be living, listening to this podcast, like there haven't been people living there. You, there's no chance that there's a building around that's not more than 100, 150 years old tops. Right. Right. Yeah. But in Europe, old places can be built on top of old places that were built on top of old places. You yeah. know? Yeah. So. I, I don't think that this like building that they were living in was like particularly old, but that doesn't mean that it didn't replace a building that had been there for a long time. You know, right, you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, That's but, definitely a consideration in Europe. Like, I, I went to a restaurant that claimed to be a thousand years old one time. I <laughs> <laughs> don't know about that, but yeah. But they were able to successfully carbon date the bones, although they weren't able to 
identify them with any anyone that they had in records, like dental records or anything like that. The bones were found to be at least 700 years old. Wow. So, like, I was curious at this point, like, what was going on 700 years before this? And it's like all the crusades and civil wars on the Iberian Peninsula when the Moors had conquered Spain and there was conflict between the Catholic and Muslim presences Mm -hmm. in Spain. So it's like there's there's it's it's not basically what I'm saying is it's not unreasonable that there would be, for example, unmarked graves. Right. Because of war, conflict, um, like displacement, whether these were, you know, Middle Eastern Muslim skeletons or whether they were European Spanish Catholics, like there were lots of people that uh, died in unconventional ways, unpredictable ways and weren't given proper burials. So it's also perfectly reasonable that these that there would be unmarked graves 700 years old, basically anywhere in this part of Spain. So, yeah. Okay. So I think that's, I I think that all checks out, you know? Um, So the mayor uh, finally got everything excavated, fixed the floor and was like, all right, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get some like geologists and people to study this. And at this point, I'm not aware what the public was like thinking about this. But it seems clear that there is at least a decent percentage of people that want to just investigate it as a natural phenomenon, like what's causing this. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took it out and they're like, all right, cool. No more creepy face in your house. But within a few weeks later, multiple plural faces mm-hmm began appearing and not just appearing they were fading in and out like over the course of hours wow so like the face would appear like throughout the day and by the end of the day it would disappear or within a few days it would fade out and they weren't the same face like there were men and women and children and they had different facial features and structures and some of them had scars and some of them didn't and some of them had long hair and short hair and like beards yeah, it was just all these different faces that were just coming in and out. So at this point, it expands beyond just like local curiosity and it hits the mainstream media in Spain and the newspapers and eventually European news as a whole catches wind of the story. And many people want to come and see the faces and investigate them. So whether it's just like tourists who are just curious and they want to see these weird faces or it's scientists or skeptics or spiritualists. Um, and what I think is interesting is not, I couldn't find any record that anyone tried to claim that there was anything religious about this phenomenon. Like there was never a claim that like, Oh, this is the Virgin. We saw the Virgin Mary or we saw the face of Jesus or anything like that. It was always just random faces that nobody could identify. Yeah. So it doesn't even necessarily fit in with the pattern of sort of um, the, the mythology, the folklore of Spain and like spiritual apparitions in general in Spanish culture, which I think is interesting. As far as I know, I couldn't find another example of this or something similar. Uh, but by Easter of 1972, so about a year later, 
um, or actually less than a year later, people are coming from all over the world. And so Dr. Hans Bender, who is a paranormal investigator and, and a skeptic, wants to investigate. Which, by the way, Hans Bender, like fantastic name. <laughs> Great <laughs> <I> wish, name. <laughs> Ten out of ten. That's funny. So he wants to know what's going on. And uh, at this time, scientists had already um, sent a sample of the concrete with the face on it to a government, an, like an official like government research center. And uh, according to this report, which I could find, they the research center tested it for any evidence of dyes, pigments, paints, or any reactive chemicals that would have... Uh, reacted with the chemical makeup of the concrete. Um, and the report is, like, inconclusive. Oh. But what they can say, what they, like, they can't, they can't say, it's inconclusive in the sense that the the point of the report was to explain the phenomenon. And they're like, we cannot conclusively explain this phenomenon, but we can say that there was no alteration made to the floor to the chemical makeup of the floor. Mm. They didn't detect any dyes or pigments or, or reactive chemicals or anything like that. Okay. And so after this, Hans decided to, um, and he got permission from the family that he, he and his team sealed off the kitchen. So they, all the doors and windows to the room, they, they sealed with wax. Um, so they could see if anyone had tampered with it and they sealed it up for like a full three months and they just wanted to see if, you know, and they monitored the kitchen to see if anyone was going in and out. They're like, okay, if someone in the family is doing this, someone local is doing this, um, surely if we seal this up, make sure nobody goes inside. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to, then like there won't be any faces. There won't be any new faces. Nothing will change. But when they opened the door after three months, they found no evidence of that anyone had been inside. But not only had the faces moved and multiplied, that they had even appeared to begin grouping together in various places around the room. Oh, my. So that was pretty baffling. Oh, I got goosebumps. So uh, within the next few decades, there were people who tried to put forward explanations for this. So here's some of the possible explanations that people came up with. So one skeptic, Luis... Ruiz Noquez, I'm probably pronouncing a lot of this wrong, Uh, he published an article in the 90s, and he put forth a theory that there was possibly some concoction of zinc, lead, and chromium that would cause these kinds of images to form. But when when his theory was tested independently on, like, concrete, like, it does form images, but they don't really look like... I mean, I've seen the pictures of the test. They don't really look like the faces that were appearing in the house. Okay. Um, and also, he didn't provide a good explanation as to why or how the comp- the family would have access to chromium. Like a, chromium, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. not you know chromium that's isolated enough to be mixed in the right uh, way, or that they would have had knowledge on how to do this in the first place. Um, but he still declared it a hoax anyway, which I think is just kind of bad science. Because, um, like, I'm fine if this turns out to be a hoax, but, like, you need to give a good explanation as to how it was how it was faked. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another uh, person, Manuel Martin Serrano, who is a sociologist. 
And he was like, you know what? I'm just going to investigate to see whether or not there is a sociological precedence for this, not just this family, but this community either intentionally or unintentionally perpetrating a hoax. And he declared it a hoax. But in his report, which I've read, he does not name a single person he interviewed, which I find very suspicious. Um, So he declared it a hoax based on he thought that the society was likely to create a hoax. Yes. Um, and he says, based on, based on my sociological and psychological analysis of the interviews I conducted with members of the community, I think it's a hoax, but he would not provide, he does not provide any transcripts of the interviews, um, or their responses. And he does not name a single person that he interviews. And that also doesn't provide any explanation for anything at all. Yeah. It doesn't explain like, why the faces are there to begin with. Um, then there was Jose Luis Jordan or Jordan who claimed that if the family had access to a specific German product that was used to remove concrete stains um, because of the type of concrete that was in their kitchen, it actually could potentially produce these kinds of figures. However, Currently, there has been no evidence to suggest that anyone in Spain or particularly in Belmez would have had access to this German concrete stain remover, although he claims it would be available in any uh, supermarket or drugstore. But I kind of find that hard to believe that because <laughs> I've never seen concrete stain remover at my local drugstore. Yeah. Um, one skeptic also claims that infrared photography proves that paintbrushes were used. Um, I have looked and looked, and I have never been able to find these infrared photos that this claim makes. So I don't know what they're talking about. And um, others have just straight up claimed that these sample tests sent to the university and other government officials were forged. Uh, but they don't really put forward any evidence to back up that claim. So the point I'm trying to make here is like, I'm not someone who like, I'm not invested in the Belmez faces in a way that's like, Oh, I'm going to defend their legitimacy no matter what. It's just, I think people need to realize that a lot of the time when people set out to prove that something is a hoax, they can be just as dead set on that conclusion as people trying to prove that something is real. Yeah, for sure. So, And even then, none of these none of these people ever address the bones under the house and the possible <laughs> connection or lack thereof there, or try to offer any explanation as to why the bones are there. Right. Um, another piece that uh, another point that I found that I think kind of discredits a lot of these attempts to discredit is that every single time one of these skeptics conducts their tests it always proves their hypothesis but never anybody else's so um to break that down let's say one person's like well i'm going to test to see if that german product was in the concrete and another person says well i'm going to test to see if chromium was in the concrete you know and they both do like chemical analysis and yeah. one of them says, ah, I found evidence of the of the German stain remover. And the other guy says, well, I found evidence of chromium. That is incredibly suspicious because they never detect each other's hypothesis. Yeah. They never say, and I detected this, 
you know, German stain remover, or the German stain remover guy does go, oh, and I detected chromium. Like, it's only their own hypothesis that they ever verify. When there's uh, been a whole which, bunch of other hypotheses that are also out. Yeah, that makes sense. Which, if one of them was... Yeah, if one of them was true, right, that was a good explanation, then one of these tests would also prove their hypothesis. But it never does. And I'm not a scientist, but I'm friends with scientists. And... <laughs> I have asked scientist friends, what do you think about that? Just not knowing the context, you know, and they're like, that's just bad science, right? That's what they said. Um, if you don't detect your own hypothesis, but another hypothesis is true and it's reasonable that your tests would have revealed that, it should show up. The fact that it's not calls, calls the results into question, right? That's what some of my science friends said. So the most recent study is that about five years ago, a criminal forensic scientist decided that he wanted to do a test where he did something, get this, Austin, actually scientific, and did his best to recreate the elements of the kitchen and the materials that would have reasonably been present there as much as he possibly could. Okay. Which is, you know, what Science. actual scientists yeah. do. <laughs> and he tried tons of theories. Like, I can't go through all of them, but like dozens and dozens of things he tested for. And this wasn't just some random forensic scientist. This guy was the director of the Spanish Institute of Applied Criminal Science. He was the director mm. and at one point in his career was awarded the Spanish and European crosses of honor for his service in law enforcement and forensics. So he's got so resources he's, as well as experience. And Yeah, this guy's no joke, right? He's yeah. not just like some local police forensic scientist. Not that they couldn't necessarily do a good job, but he's like the best in the country. Yeah. Okay. And just out of curiosity, he's like, well, I'm going to take a look into this. And after all of his tests, these dozens and dozens, he released a report where he said, all of my tests were failures. And his official scientific conclusion was quote, I am, <laughs> I am beheld by absolute bewilderment. <laughs> he could not explain what was going on here? He just couldn't do it. And I think somebody like that, he would have detected German cleaning supplies or chromium or zinc or certainly. lead. Or like, yeah. Certainly. Um, he had the resources. He had the experience. He had the knowledge. Then we have another group of skeptics. And this one is like my favorite <laughs> like explanation because they're like, oh, Austin, don't be silly. This isn't ghosts. This isn't demons. This isn't spirits. We have the rational, reasonable explanation. Great. Clearly, Maria Gomez was projecting mental images of her subconscious onto the concrete through a process of thoughtography. Thoughtography. <laughs> so not only are they skeptics, oh, no. but they're crazy. <laughs> wow. So they tried to prove this, and they blamed like Maria for the phenomenon because she was present every time the faces appeared. And often they noticed that, and other studies also noticed this too. This is interesting, um, that the faces that appeared often showed the same facial expression that Maria had at the time that they were appearing, which like, is really interesting. Can you elaborate on that? Like, like So like if Maria, let's say she was like, another face was appearing and she was really angry about it. The face would be angry. 
or if she was scared, the face would look scared. Interesting. Um, and multiple studies uh, noticed noticed that. What about yeah. like when it was like the the long period where it was wax sealed off? Well, um, that because the study was conducted so long after that, I don't know how they would have interpreted those results. Um, oh, okay. So I don't think anybody was looking for that at the time. Wait a second, the, is it the, still happening? Yes. Oh, geez, I did so, not realize that. Yeah. So all these studies are happening like twenty years later. Okay. Um, wow. The 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 wax sealed study done by Hans Bender that was done like a few years after, mm-hmm. but no, these studies continued for a long time. Okay. Um. And one thing that people noticed, and when I first read this, this got my inner skeptic going. Was like Maria. The faces never appeared whenever Maria was not at home. I was like, hmm. Yeah, that does look kind of suspicious, you know. Yeah. They only appear when she's around, right? Maybe it's not photography, but maybe she does have a way of producing these. So everyone was like, everyone was like, well, a lot of, kind of the dominant conclusion at this time for a lot of people was, well, we don't know how she's doing it. But it seems like Maria's doing this. But then at the age of 85, Maria passed away on February 3rd, 2004. And the faces continued and continue to appear. Wow, okay. Huh. So we're looking at a phenomenon that has lasted. 50 years at this point? Is 50, that right? 50 years. Wow. The only thing that makes me skeptical is, and it's not, but it's not enough for me to throw the whole case out, is, okay, if there's a supernatural connection, as some people are inclined to believe, why are the faces only appearing now? Why did they only start in 1971? But then again, I don't really think that's enough to discredit everything. And some people say, well, it's likely that at some point the family was making some sort of profit off of this from all the people visiting their house. Yeah. So maybe that's an incentive to fake it. But I'm always one of those people that's like profit alone is not enough for me to discredit something, especially for like a poor Spanish family in a poor village. Um, if I was in their position and let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say like they're not faking this, I might still like, well, if people are going to come to my house all day to look at this thing that bothers me and that I hate and I'm poor, I'm at least going to charge them for it. You know, <laughs> like, for sure. I don't know if that completely discredits them. So after 50 years, this has not been explained. And you can still go. Like, you can still go if you want to take pictures, if you want to look at the faces for yourself, if you want to run tests. And one thing that I think is is um, telling is that the family, whenever they lived there, after Maria died, um, they have never, ever tried to prevent anyone from running any tests in the house. They have never, whether somebody was like, for example, <laughs> testing for photography, or people were like, you guys are a bunch of liars, and I'm going to prove it. They, all, they never tried to stop them mm-hmm. from running tests. They just wanted to know what was going on. And yeah, you can look at these pictures online. They're really creepy. And it's, it's just really strange that um, this has not been able to be explained by really, really intelligent scientists. And it's not even like, oh, well, we know what these stains are made of. 
We just don't know how they got there. We don't even know what they're made, like what makes them. Really? Like, we don't know what's making these faces. Like we've tested the is concrete. Is there a difference we've... in texture or anything? Like, yeah, like there there is, but like people can't figure out like what's causing it. Like chemists have looked at it, geologists, surveyors, engineers, and they're just like they can't even figure out like what the makeup of the stain is or what would cause it. And everything that might cause something like it either doesn't really look like it when it's tested or it's not something that is present in the concrete. You know, it's like some obscure chemical formula. Like, you know, there's no way it would just be like naturally occurring, like some sort of synthetic formula. And so it continues to this day. And there seems to be no indication that it's going to stop. So... Who knows how much longer this will continue, or if it may just one day randomly just stop happening, um, and we will we just won't won't have a hypothesis for it. So, I mean, I've looked into this. I don't have any theories that I can ground in any sort of like scientific knowledge that I have. Right. I do think it's interesting that I think about like 15 ish years ago, I wish I could find the article. This is only coming to mind. Now there were like two crewmen on a ship that died while they were traveling through the Atlantic ocean, this cargo ship. And for like weeks afterwards, and there are photographs of this too. If I could find them, I'll send them to you if you're curious. They're, the faces of these crewmen kept on appearing in the wall of their room. On the um, ship? Yeah, on the ship. And then it, like, stopped. And that's the only other case I can think of that's, like, similar to this. Huh. But it, had, it didn't last for 50 years. And uh, there's that psychological phenomenon, pareidolia, which um, is just your brain has a tendency to see patterns even if none exist so yeah you can try this at home like stare at a brick wall and you'll find a smiley face like eventually even if you're not looking for one you know Mm. because we just humans just put together patterns and we find faces and things all the time like these are these are i I mean i don't know what you think about austin but i think these are pretty clearly faces you know they are so faces i i urge anyone listening to this to to google it give it a quick search um because it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty crazy i wonder um and you may know this have, have they like so the faces from the beginning probably still aren't there is that correct yeah, because they've been like fading, fading in and, and out and, back sh- in. and shifting. Yeah. Has anyone like done any kind of study and identified similarities between the faces? Like, are there different quote personalities that have come more than once or something like that? Do you know? I, I don't know what, what I think really needs to happen is that some university or something needs to just say like anyone who has ever taken a picture of any of these, send them to us yeah, and see if there's any like recurring patterns. Like, because it it would be interesting to be like old man with beard has shown up three times. Right. And what, when was that? You know, I don't know if it's been different faces every time. Cause I was Um, in the stuff that I saw, um, which it was just on, on my phone as you were talking, like, so I'm sure that there's more photos, but like I saw some zoomed out ones, you know, like large, um, trying to get all of it in there. And then a lot of close up ones and a lot of the close up ones that they showed were not part of the, the large ones that I saw. Um, 
so that just means that, you know, there's, there's differences in the, in when the photography was, when the photos were taken, I mean, so I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it it's quite a unique case. Cause it's like, nobody has been quick to jump to a conclusion. Like I've ne- I haven't found a statement from the family where they were like, we think it's ghosts or we think it's demons or what, like, I don't think they've ever said anything like that. And like, the, like, so nobody's even been quick to like make some sort of paranormal explanation for this. Um, it's just like, there are these weird, really creepy faces that are appearing in a random house in a small village in Spain, right? It's not even like a high profile area in a house where they found 700 year old bones, <laughs> like skeletons oh, and the top mines in the country. And some of the top mines in other countries have no idea what's causing this. So, so if I, that doesn't, if that doesn't fit the definition of chronically unexplained, dude, I don't know. I don't know what does. Oh, it absolutely so, does. Like the specifically chronically <laughs> reoccurring <laughs> unexplained phenomenon. Um, I just noticed so that I, I guess some of them are appearing on the walls. Yeah. Some um, of them appear on the wall. Most of them, I think, appear on the floor, but they have seen some that have showed up in the walls, too. Um, and there is this one that is like the it's the it's the face that shows up the most. Um, it's the one that has like the lines coming down from the nose around the mouth. Do you know the one I'm talking about, Matthew? Yeah, Michael? yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at a picture right now of Maria Gomez, like as an old woman mm-hmm. next to that. Um, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna send this to you super quick. Is your phone nearby? Yeah. Okay. Or do you think it looks like her? It like re- as an old woman? Yes, very much. And I don't know if anyone has made this comparison, but I'm shooting it towards you right now with them next to each other. Like the nose shape and the lines, the lines around the mouth and the mouth shape. Oh yeah. Do you see it? Yeah. So. See, okay. <laughs> okay. So I know like my time's pretty much up, but like, I have to share with you my completely pseudoscientific ghost theory. Sure. I have no idea if this lines up with actual science because I'm not a scientist, but if you're listening to the podcast and you have knowledge about these kinds of things and you would like to either completely correct me or verify that I'm some sort of genius, either (laughs) one would be totally fine with me. But Ever since I learned about, like, the concept of quantum entanglement, which is that, like, particles can spontaneously, like, communicate information, basically, faster than the speed of light. Like, a random electron on one side of the galaxy and a random electron on the other side of the galaxy could suddenly have, like, the same charge and energy and spin, and and, and they stay that way. They're entangled, right? And we, we don't really know how that works. The actual scientific term in quantum mechanics is spooky action. Um, that's incredible. (laughs) That's what what they call it. Wow. And so this is, there's this idea that things that, that have energy can sort of imprint that energy on other things. And sometimes I wonder if our minds, our consciousness, because consciousness, dude, that's like, that's something in philosophy and science that we we really don't get. It's a tough one. That, that our consciousness, like, just 
produces some kind of energy that we're not aware of yet. Um, I'm not necessarily saying psychic. Like it, it might be electrical. It might be chemical. It, it might be it might be some form of quantum energy, and that that can imprint itself on on particles. Mm. And so, ghosts may not be like conscious entities. They may be these like quantumly entangled mess of particles that are containing like. Uh, a whisper of the of the of the of the consciousness of someone else and that's why ghosts are always in places where there's like trauma or murder or disappearances because like those events produce all kind i mean we know psychologically and chemically they produce all kinds of activity in our brains Mm -hmm. so what if at the quantum level they're also producing activity and there's a very small chance that that just entangles with a whole bunch of other particles. And that's why, like, often in ghost stories... They're doing that, the same thing over and over. Right. You know, yeah. to the point where people have even shown, like, in hotels that are supposedly haunted, that if the ghost walks through walls, if you look at the old floor plans, often there wasn't a wall there, right? That they're just yeah. going through their days over and over and over again. So maybe it's possible that even Maria herself, maybe there's something to thoughtography, but not in the sense that it's like this, (laughs) that it's not this like conscious thing where you can just like, and like, (laughs) like shoot an image onto something. But there's something about our consciousness, something about what our minds do that maybe it affects things at the quantum level in a way that we just haven't really figured out how that works yet. So personally, I'm a big fan of like sciency ghosts. I think that's a really interesting idea that maybe this, that ghosts are this natural phenomenon that has to do with particle physics and quantum entanglement. And we just, we haven't cracked that code yet. Hmm. So that's a little bit of a tangent, not related to this, but that's like my pseudo scientific ghost theory. It's interesting. And I don't know. And I have a very bare bones understanding of like quantum physics, but Mm -hmm. if anyone wants to tweet at us or anything and say like, Hey, this is how it actually works. Or there may be something to that, you know, like whatever. I would love to hear about that. So yeah, that's some spooky action. If you ask me for sure, (laughs) we got some spooky action. So I think to rest from that spooky action, we should probably head to the break. (laughs) Yeah. sounds good. Okay. Here we are in the break. Um, let's see what announcements do we have? I have one, um, which probably is not of much consequence to most people, but I think we're probably going to change the upload schedule because we're having to change the recording schedule. So in the past, um, I have uploaded on Mondays every other Monday that probably won't be happening anymore. I'm not sure when I'm going to get them up, but anyway, I'll find another day that'll make it semi-regular. Um, and try to just stick stick to that schedule. So uh, look out for that. Uh, I guess whenever this one uploads will probably be the day that I, I decide is the new day. Maybe it'll be Tuesdays. Who knows? Not me. Not yet. <laughs> um, other, other announcements. Uh, like Michael was saying, if you want to interact with us, tell, tell us how bad we are at quantum physics or anything like that. Um, uh, you, can, you can reach us at Twitter. At CFixatedPod is our handle. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, 
big shout out to our international listeners. I know that there's like five of you, according to my statistics. Oh, um, oh my, really? Michael mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, I can check where they're from if I, if I log on, but I don't want to mess up the recording, so I'm not going to try. I know one's from uh, Korea, so that's cool. Hello. Oh. Um, so, but. Uh, oh, I might actually know who that is. So. Yeah, I, was, I was wondering <laughs> if you did, yeah, because <laughs> you mentioned you had a, yeah. a friend there. Anyway. Yeah, if that's Tina, hi, Tina. Thanks for listening. Hey, Tina. It's probably Tina. If it's, it's not Tina, Tina, you're welcome as well. Yeah, I hope to have Tina on the show at some point, so. <laughs> Um, let's see. Big thanks to fellow American for the, uh, use of our theme song Island off the album. Hold your breath. Thanks fellas. Hope your, uh, your return to shows is going well. I saw that you guys are, are playing again. So that's cool. Anything else, Michael? I don't think so, man. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, race back into the the podcast (laughs) okay so um do do you want to ask me something michael austin yeah well you tell me about family (laughs) let me tell you about family the most important thing let me tell you about family tell me about family so uh, this week, um, I am going to be talking about something that I enjoy, and that is the Fast and Furious franchise of films. You seemed really excited to talk about this. <laughs> I, yeah, I am. And it's kind of silly because like, um, it is one of the most successful film franchises ever. Um, so saying like, I like this, like it's a unique thing is, is kind of like saying, uh, you know, I, I have this, this band, you've probably never heard of them. They're pretty great. They're called the Beatles or something like that. You know, like, <laughs> like, Ooh, I'm so quirky for liking the most popular thing of all time. Um, yeah. but I feel like there is a tendency, um, in folks like us, Michael, um, being folks who like things and think about art, uh, to kind of look down on this franchise and other ones like it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so while it is an incredibly popular, uh, movie series, um, and you know, it has some of the highest grossing films ever. It, when I have told people in the past that I, I'm a fan, uh, it has surprised them. So anyway, it's kind of an aside. No, I, I understand what you're getting at. And one thing, I, one thing I'll say for sure is that out of all like the big dumb Hollywood like franchises. And I don't necessarily mean dumb in a bad way. (laughs) Right. Like fast and furious is way better than like the transformers movies. (laughs) (laughs) um, That's a good comparison. I think there's a way to be big, dumb and be really smart about it. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I, I definitely not, like super familiar with the movies. So I'm going to let you take the lead on this. And why don't you just tell me about like, why fast? Why so fast? Why so furious? Let's start there. How did you, how did you start with these movies? Uh, Let me think how I started with them. So um, in high school, 
uh, a lot of them were coming out in sort of rapid succession, like five, six, seven, I think all came out between my sophomore and senior years of high school, maybe four, five, six, seven, even. Yeah. I remember there being quite a few in a, in a fast and furious succession. Yeah. They're really, they were pumping out for a second (laughs) and I hadn't seen the first because it came out when I was young and, um, and contained things that a young person probably doesn't need to be watching. Um, but, uh, I, you know, one of my friends or something like that at one point asked me to go to the movies and that's what we ended up watching. And so, um, so I got in halfway through (laughs) to all these characters that I didn't know. Um, and at a point where it had already kind of departed from its original themes. So it's a really interesting uh, movie series in that it has covered such a broad range of, uh, of styles and yet still sort of remains, um, just movies about big dudes and cool cars. Um, and so it's, it's really incredible how it's done that because it started out, the first movie was just about street racing. Um, and the last four have been about saving the world. And there's one in the middle about robbing a bank and uh, like, um, yeah, the first movie's like so low stakes. Yeah. Seriously. Cause it's like, Hey, generic cop man, <laughs> we need you to infiltrate this street racing gang to stop the street racing. No, because they may have stolen some computers, some, some Panasonic TVs. Yeah. Not like (laughs) military grade computers, not like a computer with like secrets on it. Like just pawn shop computers and TVs and like Like, boom boom boxes. (laughs) It could not be more low stakes. And I remember being in the theaters, seeing the trailer of the movie where like, they're in tanks shooting torpedoes at like a submarine in the Arctic or something like that. So this is, this is why this series is so incredible to me because somehow it has wound up where it is with like the largest movie budgets of all time. And it started as just these weird kind of trashy street racing movies. Um, it's an incredible journey, um, that I, I do recommend people go on. So anyway, this week, um, I, intended to watch all of them and i was on schedule i watched the first five on schedule to finish all of them by the time we recorded and then i found out that um six through eight and and also hobbs and shaw the spinoff movie um aren't available for free on any streaming platform and so i had to you know kind of decide did i want to (laughs) dedicate all this time as well as uh you know $18 $18 or whatever um, to, to finish out seeing, seeing these movies in a week that I've already seen before a couple of times. I decided not to, but I have, I did watch the first five. Um, and I sort of went through the synopsis of the other ones and I have some notes. So I thought that maybe with our time together, I just kind of walk you through, uh, the fast and the furious films and what I think about them and some of my favorite moments. Does that sound good? Yeah. Just give me like a, the way that I try to introduce Warhammer 40k introduced me to the world of Fast and Furious. <laughs> okay. So, the first thing that someone who doesn't know about the world of Fast and Furious um, needs to know is that the rules of, of physics do not necessarily function in the same way as our, our world does. Um, so, it, at face value, it seems like... Uh, it's set on earth, but 
I think it must be <laughs> sort of like another earth because they definitely do break the laws of physics um, fairly frequently. Um, so we don't know for sure that this might not actually be a part of the 40K universe on some planet out there in the cosmos. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that's it could could be. And with, <laughs> with the scope of this series so far, I would not be surprised if they take it to space soon. Yeah, who knows if in the next, you know, movie it'll be Vin Diesel fighting some orcs or something on the moon. I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah. So in the first film, um, as Michael mentioned, um, <laughs> the plot is is pretty silly. It's a, there's a cop. Um, his name is is Brian, and he is uh, uh, assigned to infiltrate this group of street racers um, and become a street racer himself, uh, funded by the police to uh, to see if they're the ones that have been been uh, hijacking all of these trucks um that that's that's how they were doing these these uh these heists is they would sort of pull up next to a, an 18 wheeler shoot out the front windshield jump inside of it knock out the driver and then drive away with the truck uh with all of the uh the goodies inside um which again <laughs> would be like panasonic crt tvs with the built-in VG- vhs player like so and dated yeah, what, at this at it, this time what would it be like a like a Macintosh, like <laughs> yeah. old, like iMac computer or something. Right. Um, anyway, he's sent to infiltrate this. The, the movie has an excellent start. It's very cool. Um, it's one of these heists is what it starts with. Uh, and you're immediately introduced to one of the best parts of the series, which is the stunts. They really do have very great stunts. Um, and they use sort of practical effects to achieve them, which is cool. Like, people jumping from car to car in a lot of cases is people actually jumping from one car to another, um, which is pretty cool. So anyway, it's a cool start. The first dialogue doesn't happen until five minutes in, um, up until that point, it's just like cool music and cool cars and revving engines and stuff. Um, and so at this point in the first movie, cause I've seen the first movie, like maybe twice over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, like, at this point, Vin Diesel is, like, a villain, right? Or, like, an anti-hero? Yeah. Like, what's his status in the universe? What's his karmic status? <laughs> uh, anti-hero is probably the best place to, to sort of locate him. And that's actually kind of where everyone fits in. Because all of the good guys are criminals throughout the entire series. Um, even... Just, like, real life. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even like uh, Hobbs, uh, the Rock's character later on, um, who is like an FBI agent, ends up getting lumped in with a with a crime and has to go on the run as well. Like everyone ends up being a cr- criminal at some point, uh, bargaining for freedom at another point, you know that sort of thing. So they're they're going they're not um, they're not following the law necessarily, but they are taking care of one another and putting family first. And that's what really matters. I've Um, gathered that much. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. Uh, in this first movie, he is though sort of the, the villain, like the cops really think that he's the, the ringleader. And so Brian's trying to, to figure out if that's true or if it's one of the, one of the other racing crews that's doing all the stuff. It is, it is Vin Diesel. It's Dom and his crew that's doing all the stuff. Um, it introduces this first movie introduces a lot of motifs that are maintained throughout. Um, 
chief among them family. Another one is uh, Corona is the best beer, um, <laughs> which is just a really, I don't know if Corona paid a lot of money for this, but like there's this line in the first movie where Dom goes, you can have any brew you want as long as it's a Corona, <laughs> which is uh, incredible. Um, it's beautiful. It, it really <laughs> that is. like tattooed. <laughs> and uh, another, another thing that it introduces is, uh, so meals are really important. These like family meal times. Um, and most of the movies will have everyone kind of gather around a table at one point, um, which is very sweet and tender. Um, and th- there's also, do, do these usually... movies go for like a Thanksgiving release usually, or are they like summer, they, summer movies? They've been summer for the most part, I believe. Cause I, I, I'm, I was really hoping you'd tell me like they have a th- full on like Thanksgiving meal in one of the movies. No, it's, uh, it's usually, it's Vin usually Diesel a... cutting a turkey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. It's usually just like a barbecue type situation. Uh, but one thing that they do in all of these, these, uh, these meal scenes is that they'll have a prayer beforehand and whoever touches the food first has to pray again, just a, it's a very silly thing to include in a series about fast cars, but, um, and the prayers are usually pretty ridiculous. So I wrote down a few of those. I'll, I'll read them for the movies that have them. This one, um, begins the, the, the guy praying says, dear heavenly, uh, and then someone else fills in spirit. Um, and he says, yeah, thank you. Dear heavenly spirit. Thank you for providing us with direct port nitrous injection, four core intercoolers and ball bearing turbos and, um, titanium valve springs. Thank you. And then they start eating. Um, that's the prayer. Uh, so there, those are some of the motifs throughout that I just really love. I think it's hilarious. It's over the top. Um, the, these, the series kind of has like this performative masculinity that is like obviously toxic but it's so over the top that it borders on like campiness like uh, um it's hard to explain like normally i would really be turned off by this amount of like big strong manliness but um the way that they do it is just kind of funny and that's another one of the reasons why i love this series yeah yeah so like give me like an example of like when a when a big muscle bro goes goes so big muscle for you that it's it's too much um so it's the comments that they'll make um in a lot of cases like towards women like uh at their one of the characters his name is Han who's probably like the least hyper masculine of all of them one time he sees uh, this girl driving like a Nissan Skyline and and he's like I think I'm in love. (laughs) It's just like this weird blurring of lines between, you know, cars and relationships and attraction and sexuality (laughs) that like is reminiscent of those weird posters from the early two thousands of like, you know, there'd be a, a nice car with a, with a girl on it or whatever. It's just like, that is the, the realm that they're trying to put these men into to make them seem cool, you know? Yeah. Everything I needed to know about women, I learned from my Nissan skyline. (laughs) So, (laughs) and there's a lot of other things. Um, they're just constantly flexing basically. 
Um, and there's some other sort of like external to the movies details that make it really great. Um, for example, Dwayne, the rock Johnson and Vin Diesel both have in their contracts that they can't lose a fight. Um, because they're, <laughs> they're action heroes. So whenever they fight, it's really interesting because they always have to conclude the fight without a clear winner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is just like a real life application of the weird, like competitive manliness that's in the movies. Um, that also so like, influences how the movies are made. Uh, it's incredible. Typically in like an action movie, you have like, like as a general outline, like you have the hero show up and for a good chunk of the movie, they're just like kicking all kinds of butt. Yeah. Right. But then they have to have the moment where like they get beat, mm-hmm. and the the like the finale is them coming back from that. Right, that doesn't happen. So like, how, <laughs> so like, the, are the people who get beat always not the Rock and Vin Diesel? Does it always have to be someone else, or do they just never have like a setback? Is it always just like? So the setbacks for them will be things like they get put in prison and now they have to break out of prison, you know, um, which isn't really a defeat. It's just a chance for them to show how cool they are again, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> All right. They'll have other characters in order to sort of fulfill the stuff that you're talking about. Like one of, one of the side, one, the members of the family, which are very important, obviously um, will get, uh, <laughs> you know, in a, in a car crash or something like that. And that sort of sets everything back and they come back from that. But yeah, the main characters, um, they don't, they don't lose ever. It's so so they only, they only turn on the physics button to put someone in the hospital. Yeah. Because Vin Diesel and the rock won't, won't lose a fight. Yep. Um, and the rock uh, isn't in it for a long time. Um, but, uh, Paul Walker was the other main character for most of the series. Um, and he also like the only person that he loses in a race to is, uh, is Vin Diesel. So, um, but like if they're racing together, they'll finish first and second, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I need, I need to keep going. There's too many of these movies. One incredible thing <laughs> about the first one is that the, the sort of climax of the film, um, takes place at an event called race wars, <laughs> oh, No, <laughs> which is, uh, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know who approved that one. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just like this, this, uh, racing convention in the desert where everyone races each other and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, the first movie, lots of street racing. It's mostly about street racing. It concludes in this crazy, uh, um, so a heist goes wrong. Brian saves them, but in the process they find out he's a cop. So Dom like kicks him out of the family and then everyone's mad and so they street race to, to figure out or to like solve their problems. Dom and Brian go on a race and then the finish line is like a train track and the train comes and it's this really <laughs> tense moment where they're trying to beat the train and they both cross it at the same time and nobody crashes. And then for whatever reason, Dom crashes anyway, right after that. <laughs> oh no. And, uh, and Brian gives him his car and he goes away. So that's how it concludes is, uh, is every, everything's cool now. Because Brian gave Dom his car keys, Dom escapes. Um, but Brian is kicked off the, the, the police force. 
um, because he's a criminal too now, essentially. Um, also, Dom does his signature wheelie in this movie in his in his charger. Um, so apparently, this is possible that the torque on your car can be so high that when you accelerate to a certain amount, the center of gravity of your car shifts to the back, and so your front re- wheels leave the ground. If that makes sense. Yeah, they, that's how um, drag race cars are, are kitted out. But if it, if it's kitted like that, it's usually not something that you want to just drive in general. Like it's made for straight lines. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's this it's this funny thing that happens whenever like it's like a video game or something like that. Whenever Dom needs to go a little bit faster, he like hits the button and it does a wheelie and makes him go faster, <laughs> um, which is silly. Uh, so that's the first movie. Uh, it, it was again focusing mostly on, on street racing. The second movie movie is similar, um, but the street racing is for a more of a purpose this time. Um, so it's it's the it's there's a mission. Um, this one doesn't have Dom or the rest of the family. It just centers on Brian and his friend Roman Pierce, who becomes a member of the family. Um, and uh, the title, I forgot to mention, uh, the title, the naming conventions are another reason why this series is great. The title of this movie is Too Fast, Too Furious. Yeah. Um, I mean, because obviously we could have been more fast or furious than we were in the first film. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a sequel. So yes, right. You gotta, now we're going even past that and we're <laughs> to the point where it's not good. We're too fast. We're too furious. Yes. I, I, I makes sense to me. Um, you always gotta gotta up the up the ante a little bit. So this movie, uh, they are Brian gets recruited by the police to clear his record by working with them in order to bring down this this drug dealer, drug lord, um, who needs a driver to deliver drugs essentially. So him and Roman like do this street race audition to work for this drug lord, and they get in with his ranks and uh uh. They, it's this whole mission to, to bring him down from the inside, kind of like the first one, but it is more more of like a, a planned out mission than this one. Um, I'm already seeing plot holes because why did the drug lord not just go to race war? Well, <laughs> to find, to, is it safe to say that we won't see a return of race wars anytime in the in the Fast and the Furious franchise? It has not <laughs> returned at this point. <laughs> Um, oh wow okay imagine that yeah this one though actually takes place in uh um in florida whereas the first one was in was in la um so that's kind of a kind of a downgrade (laughs) (laughs) uh this movie has ludicrous in it which is fun Uh, he also becomes a member of the family at this point he's just a street race organizer he becomes a very different person later which is hilarious (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they, they keep the actor, but like completely change who he is. It's incredible. Um, this movie also has the legendary stare and drive scene where Brian and this girl are in a car together and they're just staring into one, one another's eyes as Brian just accelerates into, into traffic and doesn't look at the road. Um, you may have seen I it. Mean, it's I a, mean, that's hot, but <laughs> it's like a pretty popular <laughs> gif um, where they, they're just staring at each other and accelerating. Anyway, also, the first movie didn't really kill anyone. Um, like even the bad guys, like there's there's this there's this one gang that 
is shooting up the other gangs all the time in the first movie. And even those guys, like one of them got kicked off of a cliff and they panned the camera down so that you could see that he got up off of his, off of his motorcycle afterwards. So like, you know, he's still alive. Not, I don't think anyone dies in the first movie, maybe like one or two. Not even at race wars. Not even at race wars. Um, (laughs) But in the second movie, people are absolutely dying left and right in very brutal ways, which is such a departure. Like, I don't know why they decided to start doing this, but like in the first uh, probably 15 minutes, there's this guy that tries to go under an 18 wheeler with his car and just gets like sucked under the wheels behind it. And you see his car just crush in a really brutal way. Um, it's it's kind of like in Cars 2, like how Cars 2 has a body count because they <laughs> blow up all those cars. Yes, it's very much like that. <laughs> maybe there's maybe there are some similar uh, people working behind the scenes. I don't know. Um, you know what? They're both... They both have cool cars, so... That makes sense. It's all the connection I need. Um, The second movie is also a lot funnier, which they kind of maintain throughout after this point. Um, Roman Pierce is a a comic relief character that he does a great job. Um, And there's this crazy physics moment in this movie where they're like, there's this boat, the drug lord is trying to escape on this boat, and uh, so they just kind of accelerate along the the, uh, river... Uh, side next to the boat and then find this hill and, and ramp off this hill into the middle of the river and land on the boat. And it's, it's very silly. Anyway, second movie is a little bit of a downer because um, the rest of the cast isn't really in it. It's, it's a, it's weird. It was like, they weren't sure where they were going yet with this, with the franchise. Um, And that is even more so the case in the third movie, which is fast and furious Tokyo drift. That's the um, last one I saw. Really? I have not seen any after Tokyo Drift. Oh, my yet. goodness. So Tokyo Drift um, is some people's favorite. It's a weird movie, though. It has a a 30-year-old man playing a high school student for some reason as the main character. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so old. Easily the most unrealistic part of the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> I don't know what it was back then that people were so okay with doing that, but it was pretty common. It happened a lot. You're yeah. right. It happened a lot. Um, the premise of this movie is there is a boy who loves to race. He loves fast cars, but diggity dang it. He just don't know how to turn good. And he's not an ambi turner. He's, he just, he keeps, uh, keeps running into stuff every time he tries to turn. But so he has to move to Tokyo because he got in trouble racing because he couldn't turn good. <laughs> And that's where you go if if you don't know how to turn you go to tokyo, you go to tokyo they send you there <laughs> because you know what in tokyo they turn funny they drift there so whoa <laughs> so he goes to tokyo and his bad turning becomes a bit of an asset because you're supposed to slide all around and be- he becomes the drift king <laughs> whoa, okay okay i know a thing or two about about <laughs> drifting and how how you make a car drift not being able to turn would be worse <laughs> in a drifting car. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he, he has to learn. There's a lot of, like, training sequences. But in that first race scene when he's still in the United States, you could, like, they're they're alluding to the fact that he's he'll be good at it because his car keeps sliding around. Like, every time he turns, his car slides a little bit into a dumpster <laughs> or whatever. Um, so he's like the daredevil of street racing where, like, his weakness becomes his strength. Exactly. Um, <laughs> also... Um, 
so yeah, he goes there. He becomes the, the the drift king. This movie introduces Han, which is who becomes a member of the family. And you wanted an intro, introduction into the universe. This is where the lore gets interesting because this movie is set very far in the future, um, which is an interesting choice because they still gave everyone flip phones. But how how far are we talking? We're talking um, ten or so years into the future. So this movie takes place after the seventh movie, but it is the third. <laughs> um, be- all right. All right. Because at, in, at the end of this movie, Han dies, the character that they just introduced. And then in the beginning of the next movie, Han's there. And so everyone's like, what? So it turns out the timeline <laughs> skips backward so that we can see how Han was a part of Dom's crew before he went to Tokyo to do his Tokyo thing and die. Um, so do anyway. you think that was planned or was it just like, Oh, people liked Han. Um, we should just set the next movie in the past. I do kind of think that it is the latter. <laughs> I don't think it was. Planned. Okay. Okay. Uh, but they do a whole lot of pretty efficient. Um, what's it called? Uh, retconning. Is that the term? Um, yeah, that is a, they do a whole lot of that in this series to, to make their plots work. Um, so anyway, th- yeah, this one's set in the future, which is weird. Um, and one other strange thing about it is that they break the fourth wall a whole lot in this movie. Like the characters wink at the camera and stuff, <laughs> which feels so strange. Um, and I wrote this one note as I was watching this, it says, crazy entitled kid like i think we're supposed to think the parents are bad but seriously this kid is the worst um so that's how i felt about the main character of tokyo drift all right concise um yeah because his parents don't want him to race and that's just so mean that and but he he wants to race and so he goes and and racks up you know a hundred thousand dollars in debt racing (laughs) and then we're supposed to think that his parents are wrong by telling him that he can't race anymore very silly. Moving on. Number four. Do you know the title of the fourth movie? Is this where they just start calling them like Fast Four? Not quite. Or F4 or... The fourth movie or is, it, is titled... Or is it, just, is it just called Fast and Furious? Yes, that's correct. Oh, I hate it when that happens. I don't know why they did it, but yeah, they just called it Fast and Furious, as opposed to the first movie, which is called The Fast and the Furious. This one is Fast and Furious, and it's the fourth one. Um, now at oh, this man. point, if you if you don't mind, if you don't mind, like one quick tangent. Yeah, the you know the franchise that is the worst about that. What? It's it's the Halloween films. Yes. Oh my like, goodness. In order, you have Halloween, Halloween two. Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Halloween 4, Halloween 5, H2O, (laughs) Halloween 20 years later, then you have Halloween, Halloween 2, (laughs) and then Halloween, and now Halloween Kills. (laughs) Yeah, you just, you got to put the dates next to it, really. Yeah, all right, continue. Um. So four. So the first three movies are the most street racy of the movies. Four That's still the is impression I've gotten like from a distance. Yes. Like, yeah. And 
in four, we still have the elements of street racing, but it is sort of moving away from that. Um, the movie starts with, uh, they, they do a big heist and then find out that the, the feds are hot on their trails. And so the family splits up and it's very sad. Um, and then Letty, the main, um, Vin Diesel's character's girlfriend, um, dies and it's, uh, really emotional, um, because he had abandoned her to try and protect her, but then she dies. And so then, uh, this movie is Dom going, going dark and, and trying to kill the guy who was responsible for her, for her death. Um, dang. So that's that's a dark twist. (laughs) Yeah. So this one is, it's like a partial revenge, revenge story, partial, another drug Lord to take down. That's what Brian is doing. So Brian and Vin Diesel are, are both working towards the same goal of finding this guy. Um, who's responsible for this for different reasons though. Um, I'll say that the fourth movie starts to feel higher quality. Like from the beginning, the cinematography is better. The camera is higher quality. Um, it, it's like you to feel the, feel, you feel the budget like yeah, start to kick in. You really do. You, you start to, to really feel like this is a, this is a movie that, um, a lot of money was put into. Um, another thing is that the locations of filming, is a lot more global. There's a lot more locations where normal in the past, it's really just kind of stuck into like one city. This one takes place, um, in the States, in South America, um, and in several other places. Um, so it's very global and the street racing is no longer just for racing sake. It's, um, if, if they are in cars driving in a, in a street, in a street racing style, it's for other reasons. Um, whether they're chasing someone or, or something similar. Now, have they started getting weaponry on the cars yet? Twisted metal style. Cause I know that happens at some point. <laughs> no, not in this one. Um, I think that, that so we're still waiting that happens on either in seven or eight that they start really grappling ki- hooks and rocket launchers. And... Yeah. Um, they, I mean, they, okay. I haven't really gotten into it. The cars are a really big part of these movies, obviously like, significant portions of the movies are dedicated to them tricking out their cars and making sure they're as fast as possible. Right. Um, uh, the, the fourth movie though, is the first one to really dedicate itself to having action outside of cars. Um, and something that they're really good at is like parkour sequences. Um, I would say that they have some of the best it in, in film. Um, they, they choose really great locations, places like Rio de Janeiro, um, with like lots of roofs and they'll just film these huge, like one shot parkour sequences that are very cool. Um, but I mean, this street is a, racing is basically like parkour with cars. So yeah. it makes sense that in a very postmodern way, they would deconstruct that into parkour free running. It is. Yeah. It's the fast and furious way to be on your feet. Um, they're just expanding the definition. Um, there is a sweet prayer in this one. I'll tell you that I'll read this to you real quick. Thank you, Lord, for blessing this table with food and family and friendship. Um, family's oh, a big nice. Yeah, family's a big element in this one because the sad thing is that the family's broken up, right? So, yeah, you see a development in the theology as well as they. <laughs> Yeah. They, they're addressing their prayer to, to, to a personal being and not just a spirit now. So yes. that's interesting to me. 
Mm. <laughs> Could write a good essay on this. Yeah, <laughs> progressive theology, theology and revelation in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, a thesis by Austin Moyers. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? There's a uh, some cool scenes in some caves that don't really follow physics in this movie. Um, they drive underground across the border, the the U.S. Mexico border, um, through these tunnels, and yeah, it's um, pretty silly. Yeah, I don't think things are that easy in real life, from my understanding. No. Uh, <laughs> All right, here we are in my favorite movie in the franchise, Fast Five. There we go. I I know they start shortening the titles like like crazy at this point yeah because because they're so fast and they're so furious they don't have time to say the full title of their movie it's very slow to read out titles and yeah we have a very fast mindset in this family it makes me furious to have to read something that slow we gotta (laughs) make it faster (laughs) um so at the end of four dom is put in prison i believe um, and five picks up with the rest of the family breaking him out of prison. Like in media rest, the same scene that four ends with, it starts in five. Um, and, well, that was easy. Uh, the physics are getting crazier and crazier. They do all kinds of stuff. I, I haven't mentioned this, but like in every movie, the things they do with cars get more ridiculous, like um, driving backwards um, and stuff like that. Um and the way that they'll like spin around and maintain their momentum um, or even accelerate while they're spinning. It, uh, it just gets more ridiculous with every movie. And this one is very crazy in the first 20 minutes. There's all kinds of broken rules. There is a very cool train heist scene in this movie. This movie is a straight up and down heist movie, which uh, is one of my favorite genres. Um, all the planning and putting the team together and all of that. I, I love heist films. Okay, I have to ask, when you mean train heist, this is the only franchise I would ask this question for. Are they stealing something on the train, or are they stealing the train? They are stealing stuff. There are there are two cars on the train that they want. There are three cars. Okay. And because yeah. I would not be surprised if they found a way to steal the train itself, but... <laughs> Yeah. Because the family can do anything. Yeah. They, yep. It's a very, very powerful family. You know what? They actually did kind of start doing Twisted Metal stuff in the last movie because I remember they have these these trucks that like have these hooks that you flip off uh, that will hook on to a 18-wheeler, like the hitch. like And so they like aim it and shoot the thing that hooks onto the trailer hitch and then they'll cut the other side of the hitch and then drive away with the trailer that was on the 18 wheeler. So we're seeing like the beginnings of yeah. PlayStation one era car combat. Right. <laughs> um, that continues in this movie. This train heist has like this, this big truck that they pull up next to the train with and like use plasma cutters to cut open the side of the train. And then throw ch- chains onto the cars inside of the train and pull it out onto the big car and then slide it off. It's like it's this whole system. But it's a really cool train heist scene. There's also this great bit. It ends with them driving off the side of a cliff and jumping out of the car, a convertible, as it's falling and uh, landing next to the car in a river about 100 feet down. It's very cool. Nice. There's lots of very <laughs> cool things. 
um, The Rock is in this movie for the first time, um, Luke Hobbs. And in this movie, when they start building the team to do this heist, um, not the train heist, but the main one of the film, uh, one of the people they call on is the character that Ludacris plays. Um, ah. So where previously... What has become, what has become of him? He, he, was just a, he was just running street races, right? And he is the same character. He has the same name. But they're like, you know what we're going to need? Like a world-class hacker who can get into any system. <laughs> and they call Ludacris. And he gets there, and he's he is an expert, right? And they're like, how do you know all of this stuff? And he just answers, I had a life before you knew me. Um, what? So I that's, was hoping, like, the camera just pans up to him, and he just goes, night school. Night school. <laughs> um, he went and got a programming certification or a computer science degree. But they, like, there's a lot of this um, where, like, these people were not old when the when the film started like they were pretty young they were in their 20s the characters i mean but every now and then they're like they'll introduce you know a villain from from their their life before they they knew the family it's like when you were 16 like Like this this guy stole my pokemon cards um (laughs) so yeah it's crazy He'll, he'll like he looks at this safe and everyone's like, how are we going to get into that safe? And he like names the brand and all of the different security measures it has and, and what they would need to do it. And, you know, it uses all the jargon like, uh, like they do for the cars, you know, um, all the, all the parts of the, of the safe. And it's just very silly. Um, and very convenient that they can just say, I had a life before you knew me to explain why he knows all this stuff. <laughs> um, this movie also has more more gunfights and way more death. But the reason I love this, um, the heist scene, which lasts maybe 20 minutes at the end of this movie, um, the way that they do this heist is they actually just like rip the safe out of the bank. Um, so it's uh, probably 20 foot by 20 foot like solid steel safe, right? And they just hook it to the back of two cars and they drive through um, this city with this safe hooked to the back of these two cars with these chains. And so it's just like rolling behind them and smashing everything. Um, oh, it was foolish of me to assume they would do that with a helicopter or something. It, I forgot what movies we were talking about it, for a second. Yeah, they were just real, <laughs> real strong cars. Um, chargers, I believe. Uh, it's really great though. They like use it like a, uh, like a morning star. Like they'll, drift their car so that they swing the safe around to smash the cop cars that are chasing them, you know, Um, it's, and then, uh, they do a, they pull a switcheroo and it's really incredible how they do it. And they get away with all the money. Um, great heist movie. Of course they win. And at the end of it, they're all multimillionaires. Okay. So problem solved. They can retire, right? Yes. And that is what they do until, um so at this point we have like completely abandoned the street racing theme um fast and furious where five was like a heist movie six is kind of like a spy movie almost like mission impossible style um and it it seems like they're just trying to increase their audience with every film um and the the crazy thing is they succeed it seems because every movie outdoes the the one before it, 
So Yeah, I looked it up while you were talking. It's the seventh highest grossing film franchise ever, which yeah. is really crazy to think about. They're doing great. Um they have two of the top of the first 20 films to, to gross a billion dollars two are from this series. Uh, everything that they do, they always outdo the last one. They always make it bigger and crazier. Um, this movie introduces Shaw, which you, Michael will probably recognize the name from the movie Hobbs and Shaw. Um, this is not that Shaw. This is his brother who also goes by his last name. They are both called Shaw. It was not planned. Well, Okay. I only thing I know about Hobbs and Shaw is Idris Elba yelling, I'm black Superman. It was a really bad trailer, wasn't it? Yeah. And there's Hawka. Like the rock is like, mm-hmm. Samoan. I mean, cause he's Samoan. So he's yeah. like, let's do some Samoan things yeah. in the movie. That movie's and uh, I remember thinking that these Samoan people were going to have a hard time if they went to attack cars with clubs, but I didn't really understand what was happening. So, <laughs> um, so in, in episode six, uh, everyone <laughs> has scattered around the world with their millions of dollars. Um, but Hobbs calls them back to try and take down another crime group. They're always trying to take down a crime group in, in exchange for amnesty and forgiveness of their sins. Um, and, they all just kind of say no, but then he shows them a picture of, of Letty, um, Dom's girlfriend who died in episode four. Um, turns out she's alive and she's working with the bad guys. So they take the job to try and figure Whoa. out what's going on. You can't just drop that bomb on me, Austin. Yeah. Well, they did. That's how they did it is they just <laughs> dropped it on us. Um, also if you're wondering, Han is still alive, still kicking it. Um, Great. But but Letty was dead and now she's back. But but Han isn't dead yet, even though he died in three. Um, anyway, this is the first movie where they're trying to like save the world. So five was a, a broader scale beyond street racing, but it was for self interest. This one they're trying to stop Shaw because he's building like a doomsday device. Um, what? <laughs> what yeah. Wait, wait, what do you mean? What kind of what are we talking here? <laughs> it's uh, it's like a worldwide EMP type thing would shut down all electronics and he wants to sell that it. Would, to... Th- that would destroy all the cars. I know. Isn't that sad? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's trying to sell it to the highest bidder, you know, which is some evil military or something like that. So they have to stop him. Um, uh, Letty has amnesia. She doesn't remember anyone, which is another very convenient story device for a character that you killed four movies ago. Um, <laughs> why didn't she come find us? Oh, she didn't remember you. Um, uh, the end of this movie is incredible. It takes place around a very large airplane, um, very, very large, and an impossibly long runway. So the sequence is about 20 minutes long where they are driving alongside this airplane, trying to keep it from taking (laughs) off. Okay. Um, So they've, they've tethered their cars to the airplane and they're holding it down. But the entire sequence, they're probably going like 80 miles an hour. Um, so the math adds up to like the, this runway that they're on, this just straight section of runway has to be at least like 30 miles long. (laughs) So it's like a, it's a 20 minute, like oh my goodness that's then, gotta be yeah that's a big runway <laughs> yeah, they're just going straight the whole time it's so funny 
but who cares? It's very cool and they have very fast cars and it's cool. Um, so that's one of my favorite ridiculous scenes is that runway. This movie ends with the family meal back at the Los Angeles house, which they haven't been to since the, uh, third, no fourth movie. Um, which is sweet because they were criminals. They couldn't go back, but now they're back there and they're having a, uh, another meal. And so we have a prayer. This is a very good prayer. Are you ready? <laughs> yes. Um, this is, uh, Roman Pierce prays this prayer and it starts off kind of like, um, gospel preachery, um, and very, very much a, a normal prayer, I guess. So it says, father, thank you for the gathering of friends. Father, we give thanks for all the choices we have made because that's what makes us who we are. Let us forever cherish the loved ones we've lost along the way. Thank you for the little angel, the newest addition to our family. Oh, Brian had a baby with Dom's sister. Um, so oh, okay. Family. All right. Um, <laughs> thank you for bringing Letty home. And most of all, thank you for fast cars. Most of all. <laughs> most of all. More than the child... More than the amnesia woman, we thank you for the McLaren P1. <laughs> and everyone says, amen, and, and uh, cheers is with their Coronas and digs into the barbecue. Um, in the credit scene of this movie, Han dies. Um, in the credit scene? Yeah, like in the middle of the credits, they take us back to the third movie, the same scene, and they show us that it wasn't a fluke that Han cra- crashed. Um, in fact, Shaw, the other Shaw, not the first Shaw, but the second Shaw, um, <laughs> was the one who did it. And then oh, man. he pulls out his flip phone and calls Dom and says, you know, you don't know me, but you're about to. And <laughs> then the credits roll. And nobody would suspect because as it's been established in the universe, they turn funny in Tokyo. Right. So that crash could have just happened because they be drifting. <laughs> but it was actually a <laughs> the result of a global world dominating criminal um, who was meddling and in the affairs he's of played high schoolers. By a, like uh, Jason Statham, right? Yeah, Jason Statham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know me, but you got it too. <laughs> um, it's pretty silly. And also, you know, I didn't say this about the third one, but Han, like, according to the timeline, Han has already been um, a, like, world-class criminal running with Dom, doing all of these heists, and then moves to Tokyo and involves himself with a group of high schoolers who are street racing. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's just, like, the the levels of, of importance between these two things, because, you know, and then movie six they're trying to save the world and after that in the timeline is this story about a high schooler who's not very good at turning his car um you'd think like everyone would know who han was yeah um and that's the thing like that happens and then he moves to tokyo and (laughs) it's anyway it's it, it is what it is um now we're in number seven. The title of this movie is Furious 7, kind of, because it also has a different title in the actual movie. The title card says Fast and Furious 7 when the movie rolls, but in IMDb and all of the posters and all of the press releases, it's called Furious 7. They just didn't want to choose, I guess. 
All right. <laughs> um, this was Paul Walker, Walker's final film appearance, uh, which was very sad and devastating to every high school boy at the time, me included. Um, he died during during filming, not actually on set, but um, away from the set in a car crash. Um, and there was all, all all of us boys were very emotional. We were saying things like, at least he died doing what he loved. Um, mm-hmm. It was sad. I remember... That- I, I remember this happening, oh, yeah. um, and lots of people. I guess I don't know if they always were fans or if they like became fans because of it. But a lot of people like. I mean, apparently Paul Walker meant a lot to a lot of people. He didn't to me just because I hadn't seen the movies. But right, you know. yeah, he. I don't know why either. I mean, he, honestly, and I'm not. I don't want to speak ill of the dead. He was a good actor, um, great guy, apparently. But his character wasn't ever very interesting to me. Um, he, yeah. If you watch through the series, like his whole character is just kind of like smile and nod um, and drive fast. Like he, he doesn't really contribute very much Like and, and be confident. Like most of his lines are like, well, you know, we won't lose. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be hard to say that he didn't leave a legacy with the seventh, you know, highest grossing film franchise ever. So yeah, absolutely. That's off to him. This movie, um, number seven actually is still the highest grossing of all of them. Um, so, and a lot of that has to do with it being his last film. Like a lot of people went to see it that maybe wouldn't have. There was this like really emotional sequence at the end of it. That was a tribute to Paul Walker. Um, and I think that a lot of people went to see it like only for that. Also that song, mm. um, when I see you again, it's been a long yeah, that's the one uh, that was written for this very emotional. And it's great. I still hear that on the radio all the time and it's been like eight years now or something. Yeah. Um, they also, they didn't kill his character, which is really nice. Um, they just like let him drive off into the sun- sunset and, uh, their excuse for him not being around anymore is that he has kids and so they don't want to involve him. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I did cry when I saw this in theaters with the boys. Um, <laughs> no, no. With the men. <laughs> with the family. That's right. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is sad. Like th- this movie, this series inf- like emphasizes family and caring about each other more than most things in this sort of genre and so it is pretty Mm -hmm. sad that like the main character the actor the main character died um anyway this was the highest grossing opening weekend ever at the time that it came out it did 400 million on the opening weekend Um, that's a lot i think the 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 winner currently is infinity war Uh, yeah probably title but um but yeah i mean it did great uh, a little bit about the plot. This one is also a save the world mission with very high stakes. Um, and like I said, the bad guy this time is Shaw two, the second Shaw, other, <laughs> other Shaw. Um, yeah. First Shaw is still alive, but he's in a hospital or something. Um, so who cares? <laughs> yeah. So they bring out second Shaw and second Shaw remains the most important Shaw because he gets his own movie and he's also in number eight. Um, 
it has a very cool scene where the team airdrops their cars out of an airplane and like flies them down with parachutes. <laughs> I think I saw that in the trailers. Um, again, it makes me wonder if a lot of their missions wouldn't be more easily accomplished if they weren't using cars. But I think they would. I think they'd just die if they didn't touch a car every twelve hours. Blasphemy! <laughs> cars are the most useful tool. <laughs> car. Uh, when you're in a car, you're apparently like pretty much invincible so <laughs> that yeah um this the story of seven in my opinion is pretty forgettable um i think that they were trying to like stop a virus or something like that like i said it was a save the world thing but um there is another ridiculous scene so the bad guy's in this helicopter between two tall buildings and uh dom drives his car off the top of one of them and like jumps out, does a layup with this bag of grenades into the, into the uh, <laughs> helicopter and then lands back in his car and lands on the other building. Like, well crashes into the other building and then Hobbs shoots the bag of grenades like at the same time and blows up the helicopter. Um, very cool. Um, also Letty got her memory back from the explosion cause it like knocked her on her butt or something. Um, and the, the <laughs> impact. I can't remember exactly. What All happened, right. But yeah, it was when that explosion happened. She like fell down, and then she was like, "I remember our wedding," um, <laughs> which we never actually saw the wedding. They got married in secret, so that was kind of a sweet moment. Um, number eight, the fate of the furious. Do you get it? Because it sounds like eight. Yeah. Fate. So this one was also known as F8 and Fast and Furious 8. And overseas, the title card was Fast and Furious 8. But in the U.S., it was the fate of the Furious. Furious, But then, yeah, they called it F8 in the press. So they're just not, they have chosen to not choose anymore. Two syllables max. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is one of the most expensive films ever made, which is cool. Oh, really? Yep. Um, and it grossed over 1.2 billion. So this was the, the 19th film to, to make that list of the, of the first films to, to pass a billion. Um, number seven also passed a billion. So in this movie, Dom goes rogue again, nobody knows why, and they have to save the world and Hobbs and Shaw end up working together and, and hijinks ensue. Um, Turns out Dom has a son with the girlfriend he had while Letty was dead, but wasn't actually dead. Nobody knew that he had a son. Um, but the I want that son to be secretly the kid from Tokyo Drift or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why Han was there. He was mentoring Dom's estranged kid. You know what? They should have had you on the writing team because that would have been way better. <laughs> Fast and furious people. I don't know who you are, but... You know how to contact us. Hit up our Twitter. Yeah, at CFIX85. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dom has a son. Uh, the bad guys in this one have a hacking device, which let them uh, hack into the electronics of any car and, like, auto-drive them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, uh, and that is very threatening to the car people. Um, what else? The bad guys steal a Russian nuclear sub and are trying to start World War III, essentially a nuclear war. Um, so this is the movie that you mentioned where they're like racing a sub on the ice caps and trying to stop the <laughs> submarine, but they're in cars. 
and, <laughs> and yeah, they're shooting missiles and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and it, they end up there's they blow up the the submarine with like this heat seeking missile that was locked onto Dom's car, but he does a spin move to make the missile hit the submarine instead and jumps out of the car just in time. Anyway. I imagine there's must be a scene where somebody is like some government person who's like depicted as like a nerd is like, how do you plan on stopping a, a submarine? He's just like, Vin Diesel's just like, just give me a car. <laughs> or something like that. Um, there must be something similar to that. Somewhere. There probably is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, I've got an idea. And then they yeah turn on the ignition or whatever. The new Jeep Grand Cherokee. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't. So there is like definite hierarchy of cars in these films. Um, <laughs> of course. Dom, Dom is all about American muscle. Um, Brian really likes uh, import cars like Nissans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Gal Gadot is in the, the series for a minute and she rides motorcycles mostly. Um which yeah, the car? I guess it's it's half a car. Car, but small. Small car, fast. Sure, not as furious. Less furious, still fast. Yeah. Two wheels, mm, less than. Four. I don't know about that. Uh, um, might as well walk. <laughs> uh, that's as many legs as you have, and that's, that's not... right. Yeah, then what's the point? <laughs> um, Dom names his son Brian. They save his son. Obviously, they weren't going to kill a child, thankfully. Good idea. Um, and so they name him Brian, which is very tender and sweet. Um, Brian's not in this movie. They thought about calling him at one point. There's a scene where they're like, should we call Brian? And they're like, no, he's he's with his family. Don't involve him. Um, uh, and then there's this family celebration scene at the end, which I couldn't find the scene of but i'm pretty sure there's a good prayer and i'm i'm upset that i couldn't find it it's all right the fast and furious prayer book will be hitting <laughs> store shelves very soon the book of fast prayer <laughs> um the book of commons speed <laughs> hobbs and shaw happened it was a spin-off movie it was fun uh, we just love to see these big sweaty boys fight each other couldn't get enough of it um and then, yeah, there were some fun dynamics with the Rocks family being Samoan. Um, and like Michael mentioned, a great fight scene where the Samoans use like traditional weaponry, like those big wooden clubs and stuff to fight the bad guys in their cars. Um, I'm not going to say a lot about this movie because it's not technically a part of the, of the series. Um, and finally... Um, F9, the Fast Saga, came out a couple weeks ago. And I have yet to see it, unfortunately. Um, I'm really upset about it. Sorry, it's, you'll keep keep us updated. Yeah, I'll let you know. But I'll, I'll say some things about the trailer. Um, first, they made that Sonic meme real. You know the meme where there's that, that kid in the Sonic outfit and it says, like, no matter how fast I am, I can't outrun, outrun my memories or whatever? Yeah, the problem about running faster than light is you always have to live in darkness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> um, they unironically put one of those things into their trailer where Dom says, no matter how fast you are, no one outruns their past. 
Um, <laughs> John Cena is in the ninth movie, who apparently is somehow Dom's brother that we haven't heard about to this point. And it's one of those things where it's like from his past. Um, but like we've known him since he was, you know, 23. So when did this happen? Yeah. Um, he was there. You just couldn't see him. Oh my goodness. That was, oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Should do one of those air horn sound effects after you do that. Um, I, I wondered if John Cena also has a clause in his contract about not losing. Um, but I couldn't find anything about it. So not sure. I guess I'll just have to see if he loses. He'll just have like a secret army of cars driven by Make-A-Wish kids. <laughs> That'll be his superpower. <laughs> um, and one final fun thing to add to the timeline of the universe is that apparently Han is alive in this movie. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. So he died in three and then died again in six and uh came back in nine so you'll have to let me know how that happened yeah um and it looks like they have some pretty ridiculous physics as well in this one like a car driving across a rope bridge where one end of the rope rope bridge is detached (laughs) um and so like you know you know like the scene where in in like indiana jones or whatever the rope bridge yeah but it's just but it's just with cars it's with cars yeah the idea (laughs) okay i have talked for far too long about this silly series but i really love it um and well i have a fast and furious fun fun fact okay would you like to know the titles of the fast and furious series in japan oh absolutely so we start with wild speed good which i think is a fantastic title then we have Wild Speed X2. Okay. Wild Speed X3 Tokyo Drift. Mm-hmm. Then the, the way they got around just calling it Fast and Furious was Wild Speed Max, all caps. Okay. Then Wild Speed Mega Max, all caps. <laughs> Wild Speed Euro Mission. Cool. Wild Speed Sky Mission. Because that's the Wild, one with the airplane. <laughs> yeah. okay. Wild speed ice break. Because it's the one with the ice. Very and good. then my personal favorite for Hobbs and Shaw is Wild Speed Super Combo. Super Combo. <laughs> and the latest film is Wild Speed Jet Break. That may be a minor spoiler. Could but be. Yeah, not sure. So they uh, seem the, Wild to name... Sp- <laughs> the Wild Speed franchise. I think that's a fantastic title. That's I think cool. Wild <laughs> wild speed super combo <laughs> that's so yeah. that's that's that, my fun fact for the franchise pretty good fact. i hadn't i hadn't heard that before um i feel like we should end with a quick prayer so um <laughs> bow your heads <laughs> de- dear spirit thank you for family corona and fast cars great <laughs> um, and that may actually be a prayer from one of the movies who knows all right. Well, thank you, Austin. I enjoyed that immensely. Of course. Yeah. Um, so thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, and thanks if you have figured out the secret of the Belmez faces, quantum physics, or you want to drive a car really fast, <laughs> hit us up on our Twitter. Check us out for the next episode. And uh, yeah, stay hydrated. Stay hydrated.
stay fast? Uh, stay. I don't know if you should stay furious. Maybe you should see a therapist if that's a problem. But Rem- at remember least, that ma- family comes first. Yeah, maintain a healthy amount of fury. Love your family, <laughs> and we'll we'll see you next time on the on the podcast, guys. Cool. Bye. Ta ta. Sure.